0: Good morning, everyone. Welcome to church this morning. We're going to praise our God together.
1: you're here at GBC.
2: And I'm Megan Hartley, the director of GBC Kids.
1: And today we got some exciting news for you all. Uh, This week we are relaunching our youth and children's ministry programs, our midweek programs. So on Tuesday night we do have a high school group that meets from 6 to 8 o'clock. And then on Wednesday night we have kindergarten all the way up through 8th grade that meets 6 to 8 (coughs) o'clock.
2: For this second semester, we do have to continue to operate under our COVID protocols. So what that means is that if you were registered for the first semester, you're still good. There's no need to re-register, you are all set. However, if you have not been registered, um, your children have not been, um, what will need to happen is you'll need to register for our wait list. Our programs currently are full, but we are doing everything we can to make sure that the children that want to be here can be. So please put your child's name on that wait list and we will be in touch with you to actually talk about what that looks like.
1: So to register for these, you can go to either of our websites, uh, gbckids.org or gbcyth.org. There's a little register button for those programs or feel free to shoot Megan or I an email at megan at grotonbiblechapel.org or jeremy at grotonbiblechapel.org. So with all that being said, let's get back on our feet and continue worshiping our Lord.
0: I was buried beneath my shame Who could carry that kind of way, it was my tune, till I met you, I was breathing. I was an orphan Now you call me a citizen of heaven let sing that bridge one more time. There's no shadow. There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. One more time, just your voices. There's no shadow.
3: Bye.
4: as we've been singing the re- that reckless love that you sent your son down on earth to die for our sins Lord when Jesus came uh, the, the, the things that he experienced are way worse than what we see now political turmoil and suffering and illness Lord Jesus saw all of that Lord and now he sits at your right hand as the perfect high priest Lord he understands everything that we've gone through this past year as well as we will go through in the coming year Lord and we just thank you for that, that reckless love that sent your son to die on the cross for our sins. Lord, we just lift up those who are suffering now in isolation, illness, or in financial difficulties, Lord, and we just pray for your strength, your wisdom, your peace, and your hope, Lord. Lord, we just lift up uh, military families within within our community here, Lord. With, With loved ones far away, we just pray that you would give them strength, wisdom and guidance, Lord, and, and just pray that you bring their loved ones home safe. Lord, we just pray for our elected officials, our local, our state, and our federal, Lord. Lord, your scripture says that those authorities are placed in power by you and you alone. So we lift them up and we pray for, the, for your your wisdom and your guidance in their lives, Lord, and just pray that they would reach out for your strength. Lord, we're excited as a church now to look forward to this coming week, as Megan and Jeremy have already said, the youth programs after a, a brief pause of starting back up again and lord the uh, men and women's uh, small bible studies are also starting up this week lord and we pray for um zach and amber and, and just all the volunteers that are, are leading those groups lord and we just uh, pray that the excitement and enthusiasm from those groups would be contagious so that more would be involved lord now we lift up zach we just pray as he as he opens your word this morning that his words would be your words, Lord, and that they would be able to speak directly to our hearts. Lord, soften our hearts and allow us to hear what he has to say and what you have to say for us so that we might leave here revitalized to, to, to serve you. Lord, again, we give you all of this day and we praise you. And we just thank you for the, from the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Please be seated.
5: morning, Groton Bible Chapel. How are we doing? We're good. My name is Jason, I'm on the pastoral staff here, and I gotta tell you, every time I get up here, somebody always gives me a hard time about not smiling enough. So I am very happy today to be joined by my friend Katrina, who has a smile big enough for both of us. (laughs) Thank you. So this is Katrina Stevens, she's Zach's wife, and we are here this morning to talk about groups at GBC, and Katrina, you've been involved in leadership, you've been involved in groups yourselves. So what has been your experience with small groups here at GBC?
2: So when Zach and I first moved to New England, we joined a intergenerational small group, and I had some amazing people of all ages and stages of life. There wasn't a single one of us that were in the same stage of life in the small group, and so, that's kind of started like my passion for the small groups is having those, those people be able to speak into my life and, and tell me, hey, you're gonna get through this or hey, how do I do this? And so ever since then, I've been a part of um, mom's book clubs and parent small groups and specialized small groups, women's Bible studies, um, groups that it just has made it so that I'm not doing life alone. Um, and having people that point me back to Jesus.
5: That's awesome. What would you say um, to someone who is maybe on the fence? They're they're maybe gonna join. They're they're thinking about it. They're trepidatious. What would you say to someone who's in that position?
2: You should be. <laughs> it's hard. It's a commitment, and commitment is hard, but it is so worth it. There have been times that I have had a day, I mean, I'm, I'm on my third little boy right now, um, and my husband, and there's just days that there's stuff going on, there's, you know, poop smeared on the wall, another kid is having a tend- temper tantrum, and, and I just, I haven't even had a chance. I can't remember if I've brushed my teeth, and it's been a hard day, and so there's times that I'm just like, do I have to do one more thing? Do I have to be committed to one more thing? But every single time that that has happened, and I've still shown up in a small group, it has been so life-giving. It's been one of those things that it's exactly what I needed for that exact day, and the next day. Instead of yelling at my children like I want to, I remember the things that I processed the night before, the things that were spoken the night before, people that can say, it's okay to not be okay, but lift your eyes up to Jesus. And so that's been, it's been good.
5: That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, there's tons of options for small groups here at GBC and they, they, uh, They continue into the caring ministry we have grief share which is a christ-centered grief uh program that starts up next thursday and two thursday and the the following thursday we have divorce care which is another christ-centered uh program to deal with the difficulties and the consequences of divorce and the disaster that 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 brings into our lives uh we have celebrate recovery we have all, all we have generations we have all kinds of groups here so there's so many options for you to get involved um, and get connected. And that's really how you become part of the family is by um, getting connected to groups, wouldn't you agree?
2: Oh yeah, there's so many great places to get specialized care.
5: Amen, amen to that. So thank you for letting us talk to you about groups. You can sign up on our website. You can see all the various options, when they start, what the times are, There's focus groups, there's particular groups for different stages of life. There's all kinds of things you can be involved in. So just again, thank you for letting us talk to you about groups and with that, could you take the next 30 seconds and greet one another, whether that's over text or whatever you wanna do. FaceTime, you can do that right here. Whatever you wanna do, but wave and be socially responsible, thank you.
6: Welcome, welcome. She's pretty cute, I got to admit. And uh, she's, she's my wife in case that was awkward for some of you who don't know us. Um, and I'll just add to what they said. You know, if you're looking around and you got questions or you don't see something, feel free to reach out. Me, Jason, Amber, you know, we'd love to touch base with you. We can talk more about getting you sorted. So, my name is Zach, I'm one of the pastors here, we're continuing in a series going through the Gospel of John, and uh, today we start off in John chapter 13, this marks kind of a shift for us in the Gospel of John, which we'll get to in a moment, I uh, I'm kind of got a lot, 20 verses and kind of six little comments I want to make along the way, so I'm going to pray and just jump right in, bow your heads with me. God, we, I think we all take for granted the opportunities that we have, Lord, to to be together in person, to be together and watch from afar, Lord, we take for granted that we can own a copy of, of your word, Lord, many of us, several, we take it for granted, Lord, that we can speak to you directly. God, this morning, we, uh, we really just want to come before you, Lord. And I, I just ask, God, that you would uh, impress upon us just how real, how radical, how amazing and awesome that which we get to do actually is. And so, God, as we uh, look at your word, I always, Lord, ask you for clarity and for humility and, Lord, soft hearts to receive. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. John chapter 13, we're in the gospel of John. If you've got a physical Bible, it's towards the end, like this. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John is where we are. Chapter 13, I'm going to start reading. We're going to go through the first three verses. Before the Passover festival, this is one of the major festivals that happened. By the way, people would come over from all over, hearken back to the people uh, when they were in Egypt, and God brought them out of slavery in Egypt. Still in verse 1, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now when it was time for supper, the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas. Whoa, devil's making an appearance Simon Iscariot's son to betray him. Jesus knew that the father had given everything into his hands That he had come from God and that he was going back to God Now what we have here is an introduction very similar to actually the beginning of John And some similar language there as well But the first thing we're going to do is we're going to unpack the intro a little bit First thing we have to talk about is the division of john because what a lot of scholars do when they look at john they kind of divide up major themes as you have what's called the book of signs and the book of glory book of signs goes through chapter 12 and it goes slowly it starts in the beginning was the word in the beginning up through 30-some-odd years of Jesus' life. So you can say from eternity past up to age 30. And then it slows down. Jesus done a, does a bunch of signs, explains them. And then it slows down. It gets far more intimate from chapter 13 on and what many have come to call the book of glory. And in these first opening verses, we have two crucial details that John starts us off. And what's beautiful about the book of John is he often provides these interesting narrations along the way. So he tells you what happens, and then he provides commentary as you go through. And these two details are this, that you have at the same table, Judas and Jesus. You don't, haven't even gotten into what we're gonna talk about yet. And for those of you who've been around foot washing, you probably heard a lot about that, but John starts out pointing out one, that the devil had put something into the heart of Judas and it was to betray Jesus. Now there's some really awkward phrasing, commentator after Greek scholar would would explain in the Greek here, the phrasing here is hyper rare, difficult to interpret and so there's two camps. Either the devil decided that he was going to put it in his own heart to, to push Judas in this direction or there was some sort of influence there it's, it's kind of unclear, but regardless, I love how one person summarized here. D.A. Carson, New Testament scholar, says, The idea then is not that Judas was not responsible for a heart incited by Satan actually wills what the devil wills. Rather, the plot against Jesus, however mediated by wicked human beings, was nothing less than satanic. Now, why is this significant? Why is this a crucial detail? Because John wants us to know up front that coming together for this meal is a Judas ready and willing, incited by the devil to betray Jesus. I just want you to think about this for a moment. Just kind of put this in perspective. You and I will never meet anyone, anyone on this planet who has joined a team affiliated with a group of people, become a part of a movement, more evil, more wicked, more rebellious, more deceitful than the team Judas has joined. Let me just be really, really clear. John is putting that up front. Evil, in the flesh, ready to go. He's on the devil's team, and he's there. And then right next to that statement, John reminds us, but the father put everything into Jesus's hands. What happens when you have unimaginable evil seated with immeasurable power and goodness and love? What happens? What would you do if you were writing that story? What would you do if that was your kid? If that was your spouse? If that was your best friend? What would happen next? Do you feel the tension that John builds as he puts these details out front? Verse 4, so he, talking about Jesus, he got up from supper, okay, you're ready for him to like pull out something and take Judas out? No, it doesn't happen. What does he do? He laid aside his outer clothing, he took a towel, and he tied it around himself. And next he poured water into a basin, and he began to wash his disciples' feet and to dry them with the towel tied around him. Now, there's a lot we can say about foot washing, we're gonna get into some details in a little bit. But the first thing we gotta point out is, is that Jesus practices what he preaches. Jesus practices what he preaches. Jesus is living out the hard things that he's been sharing with his disciples and others along the way. Jesus has thrown out some really tough pills for people to swallow. And even for us to swallow. You got enemies, love them. You got people who persecute you and want to kill you, pray for them. You got an oppressive representative from the government who wants to invade your personal space and time, go out of your way to serve that person. Someone hits you in the face, turn the cheek. These are hard pills to swallow. And yet Jesus up front, John provides the detail that Judas is there incited by the devil. What does Jesus do? He takes the posture of the ultimate countercultural servant and he washes feet. And everything that we see in this scripture points to the fact that Judas was among those who got his feet washed. Now, something we gotta know about foot washing. Maybe you've washed your own feet before, maybe. You've washed a friend's foot before. I don't know what your experience is with foot washing. In their culture, foot washing was reserved. Well, one, foot washing happened because as people walked around, they had sandals, dirty roads, dusty roads. So they would walk around, their feet would get dirty. And when they'd enter into a home, what would they do? There'd be a bowl, they'd sit down, they'd wash their feet. Now, for someone to wash your feet was a very debasing, degrading act. It was reserved for servants. In fact, we have stuff from Second Temple literature, stuff from around the same time, Testament Abraham, Joseph and Asneth, the Midrash, Jewish writings, that tells us it was so degrading that Jews were not allowed to let other Jews wash their feet. It had to be a non-Jewish servant. And so as Jesus takes the posture of a slave, the posture of a servant, gets on his knees... And washes his disciples' feet, he takes the posture of the ultimate countercultural, humble servant, and one of his disciples has a major problem with this. Verse six: He came to Simon Peter, who asked him, "Lord, are you going to wash my feet?" Like he doesn't know the answer. Verse seven, Jesus answered him, "What I'm going to you do, you do not now realize." but afterward you will understand. Now church, let me point one thing out. What Jesus is doing with the foot washing is not merely about cleaning feet. He's doing two things. One, he's pointing his disciples to a life of humble love and service modeled after him. Two, he's foreshadowing the humility that will take him to the cross as he takes the posture of a servant. And so these two things are happening at the same time. And so when Jesus says, you don't realize now, but afterward you'll understand, he's talking about both. Peter responds, you will never wash my feet. And as I read that, I think of my my three-year-old who when I say it's bedtime, looks me in the eye and says, no. But Peter was being very culturally appropriate. Peter valued respect. And honor and dignity and value so much. He he, he did not want to play a role in in the disrespect and the degrading and, and the debasement that would occur again in the view of others towards Jesus if he were to be a part of this. It just was not culturally allowed and Peter would have no part. But going on, Jesus says, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Point three. Peter gets his priorities right, but it takes a hot minute to get there. First thing I want to do is meet Peter. Now, if you've been around the church, you're familiar with Peter and his personality. He's a bit bit bold, a bit brash. I like to compare him to Babe Ruth. I was talking with our lead pastor, Gary, about this. Gary loves baseball. Babe Ruth is known, the great Bambino, you watch Sandlot, you might have a few names to go. He's known for for being one one of the greatest. But a record he has that a lot of people don't know, that he held for 30 years, was the record for the most strikeouts. 1,330 strikeouts. Which means Babe Ruth swung really, really hard. And he either hit big or he missed big. Peter's a lot like that. Peter wears everything out on his sleeve. Jesus is out in the water and Peter's like, call me out, I'm coming. He wants to get out on the water. Jesus is talking about how he's going to die and Peter's like, no, 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 I'm going with you. I'll die for you. They come to take Jesus. Peter pulls out a sword. There's a ton of soldiers. There's no way he's winning. What does he do? He chops off a soldier's ear. Jesus has to be like, Peter, sit down. Give me the ear. Let's put that back on. Sit down. Peter, were going to deny him three times before the rooster crowed. Peter swung big, at times missed big, at times hit big. I want you to know one of the beautiful things we see with the different personalities of the disciples is the ways in which even though they're deeply flawed, nonetheless, by Jesus, they are profoundly loved. Which is an encouragement to us because there's people in this room who are a lot like a Peter, perhaps misunderstood, perhaps a little rough around the edges. People don't quite get you and you wonder where your place is. And you need to know you were made by Jesus. You are though deeply flawed, Nonetheless, profoundly loved. Peter gets his priorities right. And ultimately, when Jesus says, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Like just What is Jesus saying? Now remember, he's, he's layering his speaking. Jesus isn't talking about hygiene here. Jesus doesn't really care about the cleanliness of his disciples feet sorry only people with clean feet are allowed to be with me that's not what jesus is saying but when he's talking about washing he's referring to what we see elsewhere in the new testament about a gospel transformation about the saving faith we get uh the 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 salvation we get by putting our faith in jesus being washed by the spirit regenerated by the spirit so, Jesus is talking in those terms, and Peter, looking at the very physical nature of the circumstances in front of him, says, Not only my feet, but my hands and my head, don't get all, take it. What do we see? That Peter is, ends up being more loyal to Christ than his culture. The culture would say, No. Christ says, Choose that or me. And Peter says, You all the way. Peter wants to go all out, and yet Jesus is going to make it clear that a far deeper significance again is being talked about. Not a lesson in physical hygiene, but talking about washing souls, transforming lives. Verse 10, he's going to explain some more. One who is bathed, Jesus told him, doesn't need to wash anything except his feet, but he is completely clean. Again, very clear from what he's about to say that we're not just talking about physical feet. You are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. And that is why he said, not all of you are clean. Talking about those who have been bathed, those who have been washed, referring to those souls who have put their trust and faith in Jesus and what he would do on the cross. But he so that people are made completely clean. And yet Jesus uses an analogy here to get at this, a cultural analogy. You see, when there was a party, a festival, when there was a special occasion, you'd bathe before going over to the house, but when you got there, you would still wash your feet at the door. Now it would be weird for someone to say, you need to bathe again before you come in. You bathed at home, you're already clean. You show up, you see, but, and you wash your feet. And so what you have is an analogy to the Christian life in which Jesus is saying, when you put your trust in me, when you put your trust in what I've done for you on the cross, the victory that I've won, you are clean. It's been done. Don't let anyone tell you that something else has to be done. In order for you to have salvation and spend eternity with Jesus, But as any Christian knows, as you go on in this life and as the Holy Spirit works in your life and transform you and and moves and changes your affections, that people make mistakes, that sin still happens. And as that happens, we're called to confess to one another, as James tells us, and to continue refining ourselves in the context of community. So what does he say? The one who is bathed doesn't need to wash except his feet. Confess to one another. Why? Still completely clean. So hear this, church. Jesus doesn't do partial victories. When it comes to the battle he won on the cross, that Jesus lived the perfect life, died the death that you and I deserve, so that by trusting in him and the death that he deserved, when we stand before God, God no longer judges us based on our mess, but instead on the righteousness of Christ so that we get to share in the full victory that Jesus had on the cross victory is victory washed is washed clean is clean and when God sees you that's what he sees but in case there's any confusion here Jesus goes on this isn't just talking in the abstract Jesus wants to call his disciples to to action and that's what he does next verse 12 when Jesus had washed their feet and put on his outer clothing he reclined again And said to them do you know what I have done for you you call me teacher and Lord and you were speaking rightly since this is what I am so if I your Lord and teacher have washed your feet you also ought to wash one another's feet now is Jesus trying to start like a foot washing chain I think it's deeper than that for I have given you an example verse 15 that you also should do just as I have done for you truly I tell you a servant is not greater than his master, and a messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Point five, we're called to get low like Jesus. It's hard, church. It's hard to find a church without finding some hypocrites. Even outside the church everywhere you go we find people who are all about that do as I say not as I do bosses teachers coaches parents been guilty that a time or two myself it's easy for us in the church outside it's easy for us to take people flawed failed people to put them up on a pedestal to admire them beyond what they actually are, to be let down terribly when they inevitably fall. And you may have been let down by someone in the past, and perhaps that person was a pastor, a small group leader. Perhaps it was a church. I'll tell you, as a pastor myself, with all of my own flaws, I don't want to be anyone's pedestal because that's where Jesus belongs. We have to be intentional about who gets that pedestal jesus says not do as i say not as i've done he says do as i've done and he's the example that doesn't fail even paul even paul because the apostle paul early church planner would go around he, he would tell people to imitate himself but first corinthians 11 verse 1 he says imitate me as i also imitate christ copy me in as much as I'm copying Jesus. Follow me in as much as I'm following Jesus because there's, as Paul is very honest about elsewhere, he's got plenty of his own junk. But as we read this, church, we also see that Jesus' actions as he calls us to serve leaves us without any excuse not to. Jesus says in verse 16, Truly I tell you, a servant is not greater than his master. A messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. Jesus, God in the flesh, is willing to get down on his knees like a servant and wash some feet. He's willing to go to a cross and die that death. Put it this way, if a CO on a boat is willing to wipe down tables, can anyone else on the boat say that that task is beneath them? If a CEO of a company is willing to take out the trash, can anyone else lift their nose up at such a chore? Jesus leaves us without excuse, pointing us with both the foot washing and the death he's about to die to our call to humbly serve and love others, particularly when it means dying to our own self and to our own pride. You were worth dying on the cross for, Judas's feet were worth washing. Your neighbor is worth the dying-to-self it takes to help with the leaves and the snow and the groceries. Your kids are worth the dying-to-self it takes to put down the devices, turn off the TV and spend some face-to-face time. Your parents are worth the dying-to-self it takes to pick up the phone. It's something I struggle with myself. Your spouse is worth the dying-to-self it takes to muster up the words, I'm sorry. The people in this world that offend you, perhaps even endanger you, are worth the dying itself it takes to pray for them. Those in this world you consider enemies are worth the dying to self it takes to love, as Jesus calls us to love. Jesus washed the feet of a man who delivered him to be crucified and then pleaded to God on behalf of the men who nailed him to that cross. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Christians, if this kind of dying to self... Is something that we are unwilling to consider our problem is not with people our problem is with Jesus he calls us to get low our final scripture verse 18 I'm not speaking about All of you, I know those I have chosen, but the scripture must be fulfilled. The one who eats my bread has raised his heel against me. Jesus quotes a psalm, and he's talking about, again, how Judas is going to betray him. I'm telling you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am he. He's calling it out in front of him. I wonder if that kind of awkwardness, right? Truly, I tell you, verse 20, whoever receives anyone I send receives me, and the one who receives me receives him who sent me. Final comment. Remember who's being received. Remember who's being received. Jesus does something countercultural. He does something crazy. He does something radical. He calls his followers to be the kind of people who live out this kind of radical love and self giving sacrifice. And he wants you to know that if that's the life you live, that the way you are received in the world, it's not you being received, it's him. And so when people respond, well, When people receive you, praise God, they're receiving Jesus. When people don't respond well, as we see Jesus talk about elsewhere, when they reject you, fear not. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting Jesus. When in this life we live, it's Christ, not us, being received and rejected. And so, church, as we think about foot washing As we think about getting low, as we think about all the different people in our world who frustrate us, the fights that we get into, the arguments that we have, perhaps someone didn't behave the way you expected them to behave, someone didn't show up for you in a way you expected them to show up. There's all sorts of situations that make us feel a little bit of antipathy towards the world around us. And heck, spend five minutes on the news, you'll be upset at someone. I don't know who, probably depends on the news channel you turn on. Let's be real. But that as a people, and I'm talking to the Christians, as a people, that we would be a people characterized as those who get low like Jesus. And as the world receive or reject, that they would be doing that to Jesus himself. We don't do it because it's easy. We do it because we're called. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for what it is that you give us in this small anecdote with Jesus and his disciples. I pray that we would feel challenged to think about the people in our own lives. Lord, I think of my own wife, I think of my children. Lord, I think of my, my neighbors. That you would stir within us opportunities to love, to serve, to be radical as you were radical. To go out of our way and to catch people off guard in the same way you caught people off guard that we would point to you and your goodness along the way we love you in jesus name we pray amen Amen. if you are new with us this morning we would love the opportunity to connect with you if you're online you can click i'm new on our website fill out a card there if you're here, you can stop by our Welcome Center. We'd love the chance to get to know you. Also, next week begins uh, our Restored Welcome Aboard class. You can sign up at the Welcome Center. Again, you can sign up under the I'm New tab online. You get to meet the pastors and staff, learn more about who we are, what we believe, in, and connect with others along the way. So with that, church, you are not dismissed. But just as, what does it say? Just as the one who uh, is sent receives jesus receives you be sent go i don't even know what i'm saying anymore <laughs> i lost my place you're not dismissed. you're sent get out of here